0: Hey, Dr. Pedram Shojai, back with the Urban Monk. I am happy to be back in studio, just got back from some travels, and um, I love it. I love the travel, I love being away and meeting with people in the industry and talking to smart people, but I also miss my family, so it's always that kind of balance of in and out, and um, I I got to meet with some very interesting kind of entrepreneurs over this last week uh, at an event called the Baby Bathwater Institute, uh, put on by some good friends, uh, and you know, it's, fascinating to talk to some of these people that are you know, running nine, 10-figure businesses and you, you know, talk about some of their foundational moments and they're all kind of predicated on falling on their face, right? They've had, they've had a number of losses, they've had a number of challenges, and those kind of defining moments have now allowed them to be the people who they are today. Uh, one of the guys I spoke with actually was, um, you know, he just went through a divorce and he literally just handed everything over to his ex-wife and said, I'm gonna start over, uh, went lived in his mom's basement, and now you know is worth you know north of eight figures again because he knows how to do what he does, and it all came from you know these iterative phases. So today uh, we have a gentleman by the name of Sam Weinman on uh, the air in the studio, a book called Win at Losing, uh, which is exactly along the lines of what I'm talking about here, and really learning how to turn our biggest setbacks into our greatest gains. So welcome to the show.
1: Glad to be here. Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, this is great. I know that um, you know you have run around in some of the golf circles. Uh, You're at mm-hmm. a Golf Digest, and you've been looking at this subject matter, uh, you know, throughout your career. What sure. can we What can we glean from this? I mean, it's so we live in such a winner oriented society that no one ever even wants to admit to having lost, sure. right? At least more than once.
1: Well, I think um, the most important lesson I've learned in this whole process writing this book is that, first of all, as results-oriented a culture we have, um, failure and losing is such a valuable step along the way in being successful. Like I wrote a book about losing, which is not to say that I'm opposed to success. What I am saying is that a, a very key element to being successful or being happy, for that matter, is uh, identifying the mistakes you make along the way, and where you can benefit from them, and where you can learn from them, and and beyond that, just finding a way to to be at peace with sometimes when you make mistakes. Yeah.
0: How, what got you into even looking at this subject matter? I mean, I know that you know it's really hard when you get in your head and you start losing as a golfer, you know, yeah. to, to come back. I'm assuming that's it, but you know.
1: No, I mean actually, trust me. Um, as a personally, as a golfer, there's uh, the 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 failures are, are many, and I could I could talk about it all day. But for me, it was really two pronged One was um, as a journalist, as someone who's covered sports my entire professional career and has written about um, you know teams and individuals. I found like I was always drawn to the losers more in the sense that I found that the losing locker room was the more honest place, and people were a little bit more um, vulnerable and probably a little bit more introspective in the wake of defeat, and those were the most interesting stories to me. So that was one part. The other part was I'm a dad, and uh, I have two boys who are very competitive little athletes, and... I found that they were constantly struggling with losing in whatever the context, very often it was athletics, like sports is a big part of my life, so a lot of this started with how they handled losing in sports and and uh, they would struggle with it and I've always wanted to impress upon them that losing can be a really valuable experience for them. So I, you know, there was a couple of sort of seminal moments that, that sort of set me on this path where I said, you know what, I, I want to prove this point to them and I set out to, to write a book to, to do that.
0: And along the way you're turning lemons into lemonade i'm assuming there's some sort of you know it's one thing to just feel down and out and say damn it i lost there's another thing to take that and make it a transformative experience so what's the what's yeah. the philosopher's stone of turning lead to gold here
1: well you know it's it's certainly not an easy process but i would say you know the people who have done that well are the people who have been extremely honest excruciatingly honest with themselves and found Um, found something you know in that losing experience that they recognize as a weakness or as an area that needed to be uh, addressed and you know my point is that when we lose those moments are crystallized like we see we see our 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 weaknesses so much clearer uh in the face of failure than we do when we're successful or even when we're kind of just kind of floating along and so uh, it's being honest with yourself and, and and being honest with the experience and seeing where um, you know where those opportunities are that you can address and and hopefully take a take a step you know or several steps forward.
0: So as a dad, uh, you're talking to your kids about this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, pitch me. Okay, dad, I just lost this game. I feel <laughs> I feel so bummed. This sucked. You know what what right. you know what do you got? How is this good for me?
1: Well, you know, it's funny because I have, you know, been down this road a thousand times with my boys and I'm still going down it all the time. And first of all, I would say that, you know, depending on the age of your kids, they need, they need and we all need that moment of validation that whatever they're going through uh, is real and the pain they're feeling is legitimate. And so, you know, I don't think it's realistic to start right in with the, oh, you're going to learn from this. This is a great opportunity because it's just not, they're not going to, they're not going to buy into that. Um, so you have to kind of allow them that moment of, of frustration or self pity or whatever it is. And then once sort of some time passes and they're able to remove, um, some of the emotion out of the equation, uh, it's helping them sort of perhaps through Socratic method be like, well, what, you know, what, how did that go? What, what do you think you could have done better? What, you know, where, where were the areas that you think you fell short and hopefully along those uh, along those lines, you're helping to arrive at some answers about, um, you're right. This is something I need to practice or this is something that, um, is going to help me long term. You know, I, I, have made the case from the start that it's not an easy process, but the more you can sort of get them to ask those questions at some point along the way, the more they're able to eventually come to a satisfying, um, sort of revelation about the process.
0: Sounds like there needs to be a bit of a introspective uh, operating system that, got, that has yes. to be built in and something that you know, is, is willing to look at the self and constantly work on the self, and that's, yeah. not, that's not really built into our culture too well, right, like you just, you don't work on yourself, and that's why you no. don't get better.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's totally true, and you know, now you're adding the added layer of, of dealing with kids, so mm. you know, I, I think um, that is a big part of it, which is in every, Episode. There is a part you play, and you have to be um, open to the idea that you were not perfect, or that there was something that you could have done better. And um, you know, I I think humility is a big part of that equation because, like you said, our culture is the way that we don't like to show or prove or or um, consider the idea that we were wrong or that we were you know that we're fallible in some way. And so, if you can kind of get to that place where it says, well, you know what, we're all fallible, we all have um, are moments where we 're less than our best, and um, if you can sort of first of all have have whether it 's your kids or just anyone buy into that first premise, uh, then you can get to some of these difficult um, these difficult areas and helping you sort of uncover uncover some some you know important truths.
0: Yeah, it's tough. I've seen this um, actually in my kids' school already, and you could just tell what a kid's mom or dad is like just by interfacing with them, where it's Mm -hmm. like, wow, you've, Probably have a dickhead dad, you know, like an e- <laughs> like an ego driven dude, because the way you're yeah. already seeing the kid doing this thing, and, and, and it's like, wow, okay, he's teaching this kind of ego oriented, mm-hmm. uh, you know, interpersonal interface, right? Um, yeah. Early on, and then that, you know, that's the guy that gets hurt. That's the one that really can't stand losing in a lot of ways. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly certainly you know, kids certainly take a lot of cues from their parents, and and you know. Um, I think one of the things that we struggle with is that, you know, when, when, when parents are unwilling to accept that their kid was wrong in a situation, you know, and there's whenever there's a, whatever for an altercation at school, and there's two kids involved and you, once in a while, you're going to deal with that parent where the, the parent is unwilling to see that their kid was at all wrong. That's a recipe for, uh, that's a recipe for, for, for trouble because um, now you're operating on this premise that your kid can't do anything wrong. And that's you know, the worst message you can send. And so I've certainly dealt with that personally, and I certainly um, dealt with it like, in, in talking about people who, who, who struggle with losing. The people who struggle with losing the most are the people who are unwilling to look at themselves uh, in a critical and constructive way.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean we could go down the rabbit hole of just kind of unpacking what that means psychologically because you know sure. you're building this whole thing on a house of cards. But you know mm-hmm. it's it's really a question of resilience, right? Psychological resilience, interpersonal resilience, and so if you can have the resilience as a kid to understand that you know sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Yeah, um, that gives you a lot more breadth in your personality to not just feel like you got slammed every time you lost a basketball game. How do you, how do you teach right. that? Like, what 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 can I learn? Uh, as, a, as a dad to teach my yeah. kids?
1: Well, a lot of what I have learned about this topic comes from from other people and certainly one of the inf- influential people was someone named Carol Dweck who's written and talked about something called a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And at the most basic level, uh, you want your kids to have a growth mon- mindset. We want ourselves to have a growth mindset, which is that we are not defined by... Um, you know this achievement or this episode or our talents but we are defined by our um, defined by our approach to process and our approach to how we handle challenges and so one of the things you want to teach with your kids is that um, if they are good at something or they're bad at something um, that's that's that can be improved upon that you can get better at something that you can grow from whatever experience and when you have Um, failures whether it's in school or in sports that those are things that you can embrace as opportunities to grow Um, so the the classic example that she gave was um, you know she gave a test and stop me if you've heard this before she gave a a a test to a group of fifth graders um, and she half of the kids after the test it was really easy test half of the test half, half of the kids after the test she told them uh, wow, you're really smart. You know, it's obvious from this test that you are really smart. And then the other half, she said, "Wow, you, you worked really hard on that. It's it's apparent that you really uh, applied yourself in trying to solve the answers to these problems." And then the interesting thing is, in the subsequent test, the kids who said that, who were told they were smart, um, when they were given a more difficult test, they, they, they didn't, they couldn't handle it well because they were like, "Well, I'm smart. I I don't get this. This is ridiculous. I, I'm supposed to be smart and I don't get it." Whereas the kids who were um, told wow you worked really hard at this when they were given the more difficult test, they embraced that and they said, Okay, I'm ready to take on something more difficult because I work really hard and I, I can work hard at this as well. Um, so it's that mentality that we want to apply to our kids, which is, you know, you know, embrace the challenge here. Embrace the the, the effort that you're that is required here and not look at all these, you know, benchmarks as a reflection on your self worth.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And that that, that cultural thing right there um, mm-hmm. Makes a world of difference, right? I mean, sure. for me, I said this a thousand times on the show that translation of kung fu is hard work, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if you have a, an operating system that is basically oriented in kung fu, you're never hard of, you're never worried about hard work. You always know that you're going to try hard and try right. harder. But that's the game of life, you know. If, if, sure. if you've been told that you're smart, forget about it, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That's you know that that's important work, and I think any parent listening to this needs to just kind of. Really, just get that iterated into everything that you're doing in getting Mm -hmm. your kids to understand that you know this this is a process, and you you know what? Frankly, next week's homework is always going to be harder. That's how that's how the world works. Yeah, yeah. And the
1: other thing about it is, yeah. And the other thing about it is that like a lot of this is talking about how we handle uh, failure and disappointment, but this is really just as important, if not more important, than when how we deal with success, which is when your kid is this, you know. Has the most success in, in fourth grade or sixth grade or whatever. Um, it's important for you to be not like, wow, you're really smart, and wow, it's clear that this is going to be easy for you. Mm-hmm. It's wow, uh, you know, you're developing the right habits to be successful in school. You're working hard. You're learning to study, all those things. Because, like you said with kung fu, um, the the real gift is not that you have some magic ability to do stuff. It's that you have learned uh, the value of effort and and you know diligence.
0: Yep. Yep, and, and as a kid, it's priceless, I know, I know. Look, we all grew up in different times, and you know we didn't know this stuff, mm-hmm. and so you know we're, right. we're all dealing with the fallout of that. And so, <laughs> say now you're like a 50-year-old person, and you got sure. fired from your job, right? And it's sure. devastating. How does one take this same type of orientation and really shift it in, in mindset?
1: Sure, I, I mean, it, it, it's, um, conceivably, something that we're talking about that's, that's you know applicable to any age. But mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're 50 years old and, and you've lost your job, um, there's two ways to look at it. First of all, I, I, I'd be remiss in not, not talking about the fact that there are occasions when things happen that are outside of your control. When you lose a job, you might have lost your job because of out- factors outside of your control. And when you have that moment of honesty and you've really asked all the hard questions of yourself, and you can honestly say, well, you know what? It's just uh, I was downsized. I I lost it. Well, there's some sauce to be taken from that. But let's say there is something that you did wrong. Let's say it was a failure you made along the way. Which is, it's the same thing. It's it's asking yourself those difficult difficult questions. Like, wow, um, did I rub my coworkers the wrong way? Was I unprepared in in ways that I that I um, that really were detrimental and that I need to be you know more prepared next time? Do I do I? Are my skill? Is my skill set lacking? Uh, lagging behind? Do I need to? Do I need to develop a new skill set? Like again, these these episodes we have when we when we lose or fail are really crystallizing moments. And so um, I would look at that episode, as painful as it is, is as an opportunity to, um, you know, see see very clearly uh, the areas that you can improve. You mentioned
0: uh, a, n- a number of famous people in the book who, you know, mm-hmm. uh, have been rolling like this uh, historically for a while. You know, I think of the old kind of KFC recipe uh, and the amount of times that guy banged on the door. But you know, from Thomas Edison <laughs> to Abraham Lincoln, yeah. G- give me some examples of these household names of people who we think of as such heroes who definitely right. went through these throws.
1: Sure. I mean, um, you know, I, I when I wrote this book, I set out to. Just talk to people whose whose episode or failure um, resonated with me, and it's a kind of a wide gamut. So, uh, an example again, I come from the sports world. I'm in the golf world. So, I, I, uh, Greg Norman is a golfer who is very well known for uh, having a, a, a lead in, in major championships and, and blowing those leads and uh, and not winning. And the most most famous episode was the 1996 Masters, where he had a six shot lead going into Sunday. Everyone thought he was finally going to break through in this important tournament, and he fell flat on his face on Sunday. He shot 76 and and lost by five, and it was just sort of uh, humiliating moment. And the the great m- moment from that was that Norman, um, you know, was a larger than life figure in a lot of ways, and kind of had this uh, this presence about him. Was very successful even even amidst these losses. Had won millions of dollars, and it was a very human moment. He owned up to the mistakes he made. He uh, recognized that it was a very painful thing. He gave the credit to uh, the guy who won um, afterwards when he's, you know, in a press conference after the the turn was over, he talked about how how uh, how he screwed up and then it was all on him. And, you know, in a very small way, but in a very symbolic way, it was a, an episode of a guy who um, had become very human to a lot of people because for a lot of times people couldn't relate to Greg Norman he was a vastly successful golfer but here was a guy who was admitting that that he screwed up that it hurt like hell um that you know that he was fallible in ways that that he probably wasn't willing to admit before and I, I always make the case that um you know he won more fans in losing that tournament than he did in winning 90 tournaments around the world and um it's true he you know there's like a ridiculous number of letters that he still received i think he's gotten he's received like 10,000 letters from people that he received um after losing that tournament so that's an example and then i talked to people and one of my favorite chapters in the book is about um it's another sports example it's not the book's not all sports but there's another sports example which is um the columbia university football team in in uh the 1980s was renowned because they lost 44 straight games um um, while they were in college so this was a group of guys who went to school as freshmen and graduated as seniors and never won a single college football game so your reaction to that is naturally wow what a horrible experience what a waste of a time to go to college and and only lose and every guy on that team that stuck it out there was like 12 guys who went from freshman to senior didn't win a game say it was the most important experience and the most valuable experience of their lives because it sort of taught them um, real resilience and the uh, it gave them a kind of a hunger that um, that other guys did not have. And when they emerged from college, they all said, first of all, they were very close to one another because they went through this difficult experience together. But also, um, they had something to prove. They, you know, they had this sort of chip on their shoulder, uh, and it led to almost all of them, to a man, being extremely successful—not in football, but in business, in law, in medicine, um, and law, and medicine—and as like a real seminal moment for them.
0: Interesting, you know the um, <clears throat> ginseng roots are very valuable, and you know, in, mm-hmm. you go to China, Hong Kong, stuff like that. You could get a ginseng root for two, three hundred thousand dollars, and you mm-hmm. know, people, businessmen go crazy trying to get this stuff. Um, and what determines the value is really the str- struggle and the strife that that root mm-hmm. had to endure in order <laughs> to grow. And so the act- actual active ingredient of the ginsenoside concentration of that is increased. With the more strife that this route went through, <laughs> and that's you know, in in correlation to the amount of money paid for it, and so yeah. again, it's that that same principle of like working yeah. hard. I mean, these guys. It's I wonder if there's been a follow up story, you know, a couple decades later, and all this. Just keep following these guys who you know sure. developed the grit.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and and that's what it is. It's uh, you know, it's it's kind of an early um, exposure to the fact that. Uh, life's hard, and that you know, the, you know that you're gonna kind of fall flat on your face, and you have to persist. Now, granted, it's college football; it's not the end of the world. But in their world, you know, where all their team, all their um, classmates were kind of in, in Ivy League school and kind of were known to be very successful, these guys were kind of the laughingstock of the school, and so um, it was a very important uh, experience for them and an early recognition that um, you know these painful moments can be real great. Um, Great, enlightening experiences.
0: Yeah, I wonder if they made a documentary on that story. That's actually really interesting. It's, yeah, yeah, that's that, that's fascinating. So we have people throughout the course of time. You mentioned, uh, you know, the founder of GoPro. What happened there?
1: Well, he was um, Nick Woodman was a guy who, um, you know, he's from the Silicon Valley culture. Had started a company. I think maybe a couple of companies, and. Um, it fell flat on his face, it, you know. It fell flat, and it, it was a complete bust. And um, he moved back in with his parents after it was already ran out of money. And he decided to, decided to um, make a uh, sort of a career pivot where he was just going to go around the world and and go surfing and kind of find himself. Well, along the way, when he was when he was surfing, he decided he wanted to sort of, you know, video uh, while he was surfing, and so he kind of jerry-rigged this idea for a camera uh that he made that you could sort of video himself surfing and from that experience came you know the earliest version of the gopro camera which is now you know worth billions of dollars and very successful so it's a great sort of metaphor you know example of how from his worst experience which is the failure of his business uh came the genesis of this new idea which has made him you know, ridiculously successful.
0: So that's part of that kind of Silicon Valley uh, lean startup mentality too, which is, you know, iterate, mm-hmm. fail fast, move on, mm-hmm. right? And it's be- exactly. it's become part of the culture, it's become really interesting that, that this is what big money embraces, this is what smart people understand. I mean, look, it's not that you're not gonna fail, uh, learn right. from your failure, because it's a lesson, yeah. and then move forward, right?
1: Yeah, and, and what's really interesting about Silicon Valley is that so many things about that culture are contrary to what we taught because one of the sort of important uh, lessons they teach out there is to know when to move on, like know when to, to kind of pull up stakes and, and give up on your idea, which is sort of contrary to what we're taught as kids, which is like, be persistent, see your idea through, don't give up, mm-hmm. and part of what they say is, actually, it's a really important skill to know when something is not working. It takes, it takes bravery mm-hmm. to know, this is not working, I'm gonna, and that's a very difficult thing to do. Yep. But it's this idea that um, you know, in order to know what what can work, you need to first know what doesn't work, and that's something that they uh, in Silicon Valley have really um, you know got down to a science.
0: So there's this whole other class of people that this should apply to, but it's 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 so damn tough, right? And say, you know, I went to med school. This dude went to law school. So you so you kind of push all your chips in, and then you become this this professional person with this title, and and frankly, probably you know, hundred two hundred thousand dollars of student debt and identity and all this stuff. And then you know, five years into it, you're like, ah, oh, shit, I don't I don't like this life at all, right? Like, right. How, how do you get iterative there? Like, how do, how does one? Become transformative once you're kind of a little further entrenched, and all and all the excuses are there. Frankly, right? You have so many more excuses to say, "Well, I got to stick now."
1: Yeah, well, that's a very good point. I mean, I would, I guess, I would go back to the two two things. One is this whole uh, growth mindset, which is that even if you're, you know, six years out of college, seven years out of college, you know, however further along in your career, we are always growing, we are always learning, and so if you look at life as you know sort of an endless process of trying to get better. Then you can get used to the idea that this early experience that you went through, that it was an opportunity to again learn, learn what you, you didn't like mm-hmm. and learn what was not for you. I mean, you hear all these stories about people who who go through career changes, um, and they are grateful that they had the first experience because they learn. You know what? That wasn't for me. I went into I went to. Law school. I went out to be a lawyer, and I'm so glad that I went through that because now I know I definitely don't want to be a lawyer. It's an expensive problem. It's an expensive uh, path to take. Yep. But those are the people who have are you know have a much clearer picture of what they want out of life because of something they went through in which they learned
0: they didn't want to do it. Yep. Yeah, and, and just rolling with that same example, it's, mm-hmm. I, I had this with a friend the other day, like they were a high-powered lawyer, and they just wanted to leave law and like, you know, go do massage or something and like, you know, mm-hmm. help the world. I said, well, what do you care about? They said, the environment. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. why, why not take the skill set that you have and help Earth justice or help the Greenpeace people yeah. and use the Kung Fu that you know somewhere where you can apply it and, and you're passionate, right? And it was just like, it's all sure. or nothing. Like, I had to just jump off this ship and not be a lawyer, um, sure. you know, just because the, the eight people in your law firm piss you off, so there's there's a lot of that too, right? It's just sure. stepping back and thinking about things a little more objectively and and pivoting instead of just dropping everything. I would assume.
1: Of course, I mean pivoting, like you said, it, it, it can be traumatic. It can be I'm going to go from being a lawyer to being a you know physical trainer, or it can be I'm going to be a corporate lawyer and I'm going to be a nonprofit lawyer. Like there's obviously small pivots along the way. The key is to Kind of identify the part that is really objectionable to you, mm-hmm. uh, this is the part that I definitely don't like, and I'd like to get away from that and uh, you know if you can do that and you know that part, then you know there's a lot of wiggle room in between
0: yeah, yeah, and, and that's the thing is under duress, we don't see the wiggle room, and that's a that's a direct correlation with the with the resilience argument, right like the more resilience you have, the more you can kind of look at something without completely collapsing and being I'm such a loser, right yeah.
1: Totally, and it actually goes back to the idea I use or talked about with my kids, which is like we all are—we all need that moment where we're sort of separating um, emotion from the equation. Or like you said, like uh, I hate lawyer, I'm, I'm, I hate law, I'm never going to be a lawyer again. There's probably a lot of emotion in that, and there's probably a lot of uh, you're kind of clouded by um, you know an, an, a, a, an immediate experience. And you know, part of what we're talking about is first of all, if you go through enough of these episodes, you realize it's not the end of the world when something doesn't work out. There's you know there is always a next path. And you know, if you're able to kind of allow yourself the the time to, um, you know, eventually look at things really objectively and clear-eyed, um, then you're not going to necessarily make that extremely dramatic move. It might be something just a little a little subtler.
0: Yep. Uh, there's there's this one thing that I hear a lot, and it's it's a big challenge in the community, is rejection, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, you're, everything's going fine, you think your life is cool, and all of a sudden your significant other's like, you know, later, mm-hmm. I don't I, I don't know you, right? And then, uh, whether it's, you know, a, a work relationship or a personal relationship, that rejection, I found people really getting hung up on. So what, what wisdom do you have there um, in turning that to lemonade?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I would, um I would make a very strong case that that's a universal thing, and we go back to that idea of um, sometimes it's not always your fault. Like you, you know, especially when we're talking about a personal relationship, um, you know, in the same way we talk about uh, an employee who's who's downsized for for reasons that are outside of control. There might be another party here who has who has changed or moved in a direction that um, is not really a reflection of you or who you are or your self worth. So that's the first part. The second part is. Um, you know, as with anything else, um, when you go through a a uh, end of a relationship or some sort of rejection, it's as good an opportunity as ever to to again look at yourself and look at your role. Like, was I as attentive as I could be? Was I a good listener? Um, you know, am I too self centric to be in a relationship? Like, these are all um, very difficult uh, questions that come to the fore when these things happen. And again, as difficult as they are. They are the – these are the real catalysts for you know, positive, positive change because it's sort of uh, – you're forced to deal with it. And uh, so again, I go back to the idea like you're not going to see it right away you know, when you know, the person you love walks out the door. You're not going to be so grateful for the opportunity. But if you allow yourself the, the, uh, the time to look at it really objectively, you might get to that realization.
0: Yeah, and that's the hardest part, right? You wanna blame them, obviously, you're the victim. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's probably been festering for a while. Um, mm-hmm. no, nobody I know is an angel, you know what I mean? And so it's like, right, it's always course. dirty on this side as well. And so, mm-hmm. but, but then developing that culture, there's so many people that wanna externalize that pain. It's almost like going through the, the, the st- uh, steps of grief right where at yeah. first you're pissed and you're like that that jerk i can't believe they did that but then once you start getting into that level of introspection any any wisdom on how to really just stop playing the blame game and, and asking oneself what is it that i may have done wrong
1: yeah i mean I, I don't know if i have wisdom as much as i would say that blaming really doesn't get you anywhere i mean i think we're seeing it we're seeing it in, you know american culture right now in politics and everything else that just it's 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 it doesn't arrive at a constructive uh, solution. So it might make yourself, it might make you feel better in the, but it's not going to get you to a better place or a higher place. It's just going to, um, it's just going to basically prolong the problem. And so, um, you know, again, I don't know if that's wisdom as much as like, it, it, when you when you have the temptation to blame others for your problems and your lot in life. Um, make sure you're aware that that is only gonna get you so far and that's not very far at all.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and and where it gets you internally is an ulcer, you know? It's like it's just, it, exactly. it, it cooks it's, you
1: inside out. And it, look, look, we're all guilty of it, myself included. It's very easy at the moment to say that all the problems that arise was of something that are, are, are outside of you. Um, but I think, again, um, give yourself the time and perspective and you'll realize that's not necessarily the case
0: I love it I love it the book is called win at losing by Sam we- Sam Weidman uh, how our biggest setbacks can lead to our greatest gains uh, book is already out um, and uh, man I really I really enjoyed this conversation smart guy and you know look here's the thing you've been around people uh, there's only one guy that really wins the golf tournament so everyone else mm-hmm. everyone else has some <laughs> some degree of kind of introspection that goes along with saying, well, yeah, that didn't turn out the way I hoped, right? right. And, and, and that's the experience. I mean, that's what sports are. That's what life is.
1: Yeah, that's why. I mean, look, I, uh, my background is sports, but I also feel like sports are great um, examples of that whole idea that, you know, um, when, when there's a loss, it is a perfect opportunity to look at, at what can be better. And so, but that's, you know, it's applicable well beyond the athletic realm as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, amen. Well, I mean, it is life, right? You know, the old metaphor sports is life, right? It 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 really is. Life is sport. So, uh, listen, I wish you the best. I love this work. Uh, Keep up the good work. And uh, for my audience out there, where can you turn this around and really look at getting out of the blame game? finding those losses, metabolizing those losses, and turning them into the nuggets, right? Like, how do you take the coal, turn it into a diamond, right? An alchemical <laughs> translation is turning lead to gold. This is what we do every day, right? This is a metaphor sure. for life. How do you find that in your own life? Uh, let us know in the chat threads here, and uh, keep up the good work at digging in your own life. And Sam, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Thank you.
0: thank you.